Do we have time for a zikr? For about a 10 minute zikr? Does anyone feel? Would anyone like to start? I mean, I'm happy to leave the zikr, but how do you feel? Do we start with a 10 minute zikr? Just raise your hand if you are open to that, and if not, inshallah, we can. Why not? Huh? That's great. I, For me, at least, I'm okay with it. Okay. All right, wonderful. I just recall, so if we um, attune ourselves to this moment and leave the concerns of the world and our day behind and leave tomorrow in the hands of Allah is the best disposer of our affairs and ground ourselves in this moment and turn towards our heart and inshallah do the shadidly zikr of astaghfirullahaladzim Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad, la ilaha illallah, and then Allah, so 99 times each. And inshallah that will open us up further to the heart space. Bismillah. Bismillah. <laughs> I stuff for my nothing, 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 Suffering, <laughs> 
I shorten the salawat and the laila illallah. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Taslima. La ilaha illa Allah, 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 la ilaha illa Allah. لا إله إلا الله 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 لا إله إلا الله
So, alaikum everyone. Um, so, apologies for the late start. I, I had the times mixed up. There's another group on Sunday that meet for a different book circle, and they start at eight. So, that's the reason. Um, so, inshallah, let's start with our intention. I'll put it in the chat. Um, Brother Basim, do you want to do the honors, inshallah? I would love to, uh, dear brother. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We empty our hearts of reflective thinking and we sit together with God, Al-Haqq, on the carpet of adab, spiritual attentiveness, muraqaba, and presence and readiness to receive whatever comes to us from him, so that it is God who takes care of teaching us by means of unveiling and spiritual realization. So when they have focused their hearts and, and their spiritual aspirations, himam on God, and have truly taken refuge with him, giving up any reliance on the claims of reflection, investigation and intellectual results, then their hearts are purified and open. Once they have this inner receptivity, God manifests himself to them, teaching them, informing them through the direct vision of the inner meaning of those, of those words and reports in a single instant. Thank you, dear brother. So if we just turn to our hearts and inshallah carry the intention of just being receptive and to speak from that receptivity and see inshallah what Allah unfolds for us. So I believe we are on page 52. And just to recap where we were, um, and we can maybe do the recap together, others can add. Essentially, Ibn Arabi was talking about the Malamatiya or Malamiya as being the highest stage, uh, people of the highest level of Olia. And um, they had emptied themselves of even the idea of a spiritual station and or any way of identifying them as being Sufi or evolved or anything. But they are, as Ibn Arabi reads in Surah Baqarah, they are deaf, dumb and blind. Um, in that 
they do not see or hear anything except the divine. And so preaching to them is useless. Um, and because Allah has sealed their hearts with his stamp. And that's a word that I've heard used elsewhere. Allah seals the hearts of his lovers. So they are sort of reserved for him. And he takes them. Um, and then Ibn Arabi very beautifully. So that Summum Bukmum, Umim Fahum Lairjiun, is actually referring to the Kafirun, the Kafirs. And Ibn Arabi always acknowledged is the literal or the orthodox meaning, but then looks at the literal root word. So in many ways, he's more literal than a literalist. And he's not interpreting it based on what he, he's going to the root of the Quranic word, saying Allah chose this word for, a re, you know, for the, there's a hikmah inside the choosing of this word. So the word kafir, root word is kafara, which means to cover. And hence, Ibn Arabi says that um, the awliya, the, the malamatiya specifically, are hiding, they're covering themselves, uh, their love for Allah, their station from the world from other Sufis, and therefore they are often at blame from the Fuqaha, but also from the Sufis as well. And then Ibn Arabi masterfully doesn't stop there. That's just the beginning. He then says that all the blameworthy qualities not only have their root in a divine name or a quality, um, so becomes proud, forgets, is willy, deceives. Uh, that's page 51. But say, then goes on to say, those who are forgetful of the prayers, I think it's Allahumma, Allahumma, Alladina Hum Ansalatim Sahun, Alladina Hum Yura'una, Yamna'una Al Ma'un, who pray for, for it to be seen. Um, you know, it's a sign of the hypocrite. Um, and Allah help us, because before we point to somebody out there, as Umar bin Khattab went to the companion to say if his name was on the on the list of hypocrites. So from a Muhasaba perspective, obviously, there's one inside. But Ibn Arabi then says, these are not just people out there, but also apply to th these olia these who, um, uh, you know, um, he has his own way of interpreting that, in that they, their, their prayers are no longer their own, although they perform them on the outside because God is their hearing, the sight, their speech. And in truth, it is he who is praying. Their acts are no longer belong, no longer belongs to them. And so to keep with the Sharia or the language of the common folk, they say we prayed and hence. So he sees multiple levels of meaning. He's not stuck at one particular meaning or a diversity of opinion. So that's what I took. Does anybody want to add to that, inshallah? Or comment on that? In, um, if I may, Brother Saqib, what I'm picking up clearly that Sheikh Al-Akbar is um, pointing towards is that the human condition is a very complex one. What is in the, the heart of a human, a person, is really a very private relationship between Allah and his creation. And while I understand and wholeheartedly respect why orthodoxy prescribes 
the, fr- the structure and framework that we all try to adhere to. I'm starting to understand that we're not all created with the same capacities. And thus, you know, one of God's creations may be doing more in um, their actions to serve humanity and to be a good person and spread the message of God's love through actions, not just proselytizing, as opposed to the simple, uh, you know, as you use the term for the common folk, they try to adhere to the schedule that we follow. So I'm starting to see that it's not all a black and white or a vanilla. You know, all of God's creations have their way of worshiping. If that makes any, uh, if that resonates with you. Yes. I, I would just say, for my current understanding, the Sheikh Al-Akbar, what he's doing is offering a very coherent um, understanding rooted in Quranic metaphysics and Hadith completely. He doesn't go outside it. Because as he says, everything is inside the book. And the commentary on the book is a hadith. So he's either talking about the hadith of the Prophet or the Quran, and that's it. And he's offering a schema of reality of the cosmos. And so he's not saying the Malamatiya necessarily, it's not about so-and-so is a Malamati and he's hidden and I'm not and where he's he's showing the divine reality at play in everyone, including the person who, quote unquote, is misguided or is not doing the good work. Even Arabi is showing that even in that there's a rahmah, there's there's something hidden even in that. You just don't know. There's a divine wheresoever you look, there is the face of God. So in a way, what he's doing is gradually showing us glimpses of that face in every manifestation, including the witnessing that we are doing. He's even turning it back and says, are you sure you're actually looking here? You know, so he's gradually unveiling. It's a process of unveiling. He's not, it's not just a question of a conceptual map of what's going on. It's, mm-hmm. it's the, and, and hence we talk about physics or metaphysics as the um, understanding of what is al-wajud. But, for him, it's not just the physical or the rape. It The whole thing interlinks. You know, it's it's a it's a very coherent. But his way of doing it is incoherent. His way of doing it is you can't. It's not a structured A B C D approach. He's not. The commentators are doing that. Yes, Al Qasiri and others, Jundi, they, they create a structured. He's not. He's he's. You can just feel it's coming through him. But I think the mystery is, as you'll see that as as he begins to unveil what the mystery is i'll tell you what for me what the mystery is is it's completely rooted in quran and hadith and he's offering a glimpse of reality which you just don't get elsewhere mm-hmm. and so somebody once said the Tao Te Ching, you know has non-duality and it's very spiritual and a sufi sheikh once said well all of that is in the quran and and you know, any commented, modern commentator, Asad Yusuf, you just wouldn't find a discussion on non-duality. 
with Ibn Arabi, it's there left, right, and center. And 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 the funny thing is he's using Quranic vocabulary. And so for him, every verse, every vowel, every letter, every grammatical nuance has a meaning. And he and he explains that meaning. He 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 extrapolates the meaning <laughs> from the grammatical nuances. Again and again, and I've just never seen anything like it. It's all Quran. If you go back to the Arabic, you will just see there's nothing but Quran and Hadith. So he's coming up with, in a sense, the most esoteric metaphysical perspective, which unifies legalism, uh, numeracy, numerology, astronomy, uh, theology philosophy, for every th discipline you can think of, esoteric, yet it's all rooted in Quranic and Hadith uh, insights. That's what he's done, somehow. And by the way, to supplement what you said, I received uh, a few days ago, uh, Dr. Hirtenstein's book, Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I know you're kind. Um, you're kind enough to share it. I think as a PDF. Right. Oh, the or, prayers. Yeah, yeah, the prayers. Yeah. Um, for the week. Yeah. And just to supplement what you said, I'm I'm finding very similar things that he's explaining through this book. That it's, it's starting to all come together. If anything. What I'm finding, relying on different texts, really helps paint a much uh, more focused picture of what Sheikh Al-Akbar is trying to communicate. Um, so, just, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm wary of time, um, and I hope so. I can't see Sadma and Sahar. I'm sure they're listening. Shall we, inshallah, make a start? I yep. think, we, sh shall we start at, uh, why don't we start here? At the end of page 51, where it says, likewise, those who forget their prayers, because then that sort of builds from where we left and takes us further. Uh, Salma, do you want to read, inshallah? Yeah, I can read, alhamdulillah. Bismillah. Um, <clears throat> Bismillah. Uh, likewise, those who are forgetful of their prayers are the saints whose ritual prayers are no longer their own, although they perform them on the outside because God is their hearing, their sight, their speech. And in truth, it is he who is, who is praying. Their acts no longer belong to them. Those who refuse uh, the creatures, their help, and thus appear to be lacking in that charity that is inseparable from any sanctity, act in such a manner only to distract men's gaze from considering secondary causes and thus turn it towards toward God. For it is he alone who comes to his assist. Those who are astray, ad-dalun, are those who wander, ad-ta'ihun, caught by dizziness, al-ha'irun, in the divine majesty. Every time they would like to stop to find rest, God bestows upon them a new science about himself that annihilates them. Those who lead astray, al-mudillun, 
are those who teach their followers the impossibility of exhausting the knowledge of God and lead them towards the perpetual bewilderment of the of the Dalun. Liars, al-Kadibun, attribute to themselves acts prescribed by the sacred law but know that God is the sole agent. They lie to be in accord with the common usage of the believers, whom a truthful language would scandalize and drag into disobedience, and thus hide their spiritual degree. The Quranic term al-Fujjar, the debauched, is interpreted by returning to the first meaning of the word fajara, as it appears in the verse 76.6. The tafjir is the act by which spring water is allowed to flow freely. The true fujjar are for Ibn Arabi, those beings who have accessed the springs of knowledge that God has forbidden to most men because of their natural disposition. But it is for if these springs flowed freely, men would be almost all men would be almost all be led through the effect of an impure look to profess liberta libertinism, ibaha, incarnationism, ulul, or other errors that will bring about their loss. The fujjar, on the other hand, have captured the true meaning of this knowledge. They have opened a passage to the water of the source and they have drunk from their waters and they have thus obtained a supplement to guidance and enlightenment. That, that this is the setting up of a hermeneutical principle with quite general application rather than a chance series of paradoxes is vigorously expressed at the beginning of the paragraph where Ibn Arabi states, Proceed in a similar manner to that which proceeds, and likewise transpose any characteristics that is worthy of blame in its indeterminate form, and that via an adequate determination becomes worthy of praise. He promptly demonstrates with an extreme example the gravest of the blameworthy characteristics is the fact of associating something with God. As shirk. But there are associators or polytheists, mushrikun, amongst the saints. The exceptional seriousness of shirk is evidenced by verse 448, 115. Of all sins, it is only one that God cannot pardon. But God also said, invoke Allah or invoke a rahman the all-merciful. Regardless of the names with which you invoke him, to him belong the most beautiful names. The associate a saint are those who, taking God's own example, associate with God all the names with, with which he has described himself for. Although different in a certain manner, they all refer to a single named one, returning to a single essence. If you do that, Ibn Arabi adds, it is you who are the true associator. For in order for there to be true association, those things that one associates must be associated in everything, and thus they must have one essence in common. The mushrik in the ordinary sense of the word, the polytheist, attributes different essences to those things that he associates. 
he is thus not truly a mushrik, and it is because his shirk is a pretension without foundation that he will be punished. These examples which are given because they offer a particularly meaningful illustration of an uncommon kind of exegesis are far from exhausting the meanings of the words or verses to which they refer. The Qur'an for Ibn Arabi is a treasure whose abundance is truly infinite and the isharat, the allusions to divine secrets which can be per perceived by those who listen to it in a state of perfect ummiyah are countless. To some degree, certain ones of them are communicable and among them there are those that must imperatively be communicated since they open the path to understanding the Qur'an for those who possess the necessary qualification. The tafjur, the, the piercing that opens a passage or the waters of a spring, is among the attributes of sainthood, and ha as has been seen. However, many of the secrets transcend the limits of language, and it is up to the individual to experience their flavor through a personal experience that will never be exactly replicated by the same person and never be identical for different individuals. The coming chapter will allow us to sense the extent to which Sheikh Al-Akbar's teachings is a perpetual discovery of the meanings of what for him is perpetual revelation. We say to sense only, for with the author of the Fusus, as with Tirmidhi, was what characterizes revelation, al-wahi, is its immediacy. No echo extends one from hearing the original sound, the original sound that it reverberates. No gloss, even if inspired, managed to capture in its nakedness the word of divine language upon which it comments. One more aspect of Ibn Arabi's hermeneutics must be mentioned, for it has important practical consequences. The principles that determine for Ibn Arabi the interpretation of the Qur'an in its function of establishing the legal rules to which the believer behavior must be submissive. This problem, which one might think strange for an author often classified in a restrictive, restrictive manner, among the Ahlul Batin, actually occupies a consider considerable place in his work. The entire translation, excluding notes and comments, of the text concerning subjects considering answerable to the fiqh would undoubtedly fill two large volumes. It is true that most of these texts concern ibadat, duties towards God, and especially, therefore, prescribed rites. At the end of this book, we shall see the main function of, of these rites on the path as it leads to sainthood. It will be seen at the same time that the conception of ibadat in Ibn Arabi ends up embracing all aspects of the law. But there are also numerous passages that deal with the rules applicable to human relationships, i.e. what the treaties of, fiqh, of the fiqh classify amongst 
The same is true for the rules applicable to conditions of legitimacy of political power. A few recent works have underscored the interest in this little explored side of the Sheikh al-Akbar's writing, even though it did previously attract Gold Zahir uh, attention. Uh, later in this work, we will address the place that Ibadat occupy in Ibn Arabi's doctrine. At present, we will limit ourselves to noting that the characteristic traits of his teachings on the manner, matter of fiqh. Shall we pause there for a moment? Yeah. And just take that in and see if anything has come up. There is this part, the Mushrikeen, because when we say wheresoever you turn, there is the face of God. And from Ibn Arabi's perspective, what we read earlier, Allah has willed that you shall not worship anything but him. The Quranic verse, Ibn Arabi's reading of that is, that is a hukam, but it's also a metaphysical reality in that the innate nature of a human being is to worship. And even if he or she is worshipping a thing, in reality, if you take away the images, it's a yearning and worship for the one divine. And so my question was, what is shirk then? So this part is very interesting, where he says... Um, Invoke Allah, invoke Rahman, regardless of the name with which you invoke him, to him belong the most beautiful names. The associated saints are those who, taking God's own example, associate with God all the names with which he has described himself for, although different in a certain sense, they all refer to the single name one, returning to a single essence. If you do that, Ibn Arabi says, it is you who are the true associator. Anta al mushrik ala al-haqiqa. For in order for there to be true association, those things that one associates must be associated in everything, and thus they must have one essence in common. The mushrik, in the ordinary sense of the word, the polytheist, attributes different essences, OIC, to those things that he associates. He's thus not truly a mushrik and it is because his shirk is a pretension without foundation that he'll be punished so he's, he's talking about that this is why he's so contra you know it's even just the language he's using about being a true mushrik but yeah I was wondering if anyone has any thoughts on that and... I really didn't understand I mean the the, the sentence uh, for in order there to be true associations, those things that one associates must be associated in everything. Uh, 
I didn't understand that. If somebody could clarify that, perhaps. Um, Let's see. Sahir, what do you say? Yes, so just my thoughts, and I don't know if I'm on the right track, um, but the way I um, I conceived of it was that um, as long as the singularity is is not broken, I don't know if that's the right word, so that in the end, whatever is associated connects to that one, then it is not shirk because it does not fall out of it. Mm. Um, and it still connects to the one. Um, so what I, how I understood is that the saints, because they still would use or rely on the names that Allah has given, um, it still is falls within that frame and they don't go out of it. So uh, that association is not the same as a shirk. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what I understood out of it. Brother Basim, do you want to add anything? I mean, I, I, agree, I agree with what my sister has said. I guess what I'm grappling with is the idea that the concept of shirk is not as black and white as we may have understood over time. And that fundamentally, even al-Mushrik in their own capacity have uh, subservience that, that they understand their creator. So in fact, if anything, it's leading me back to the idea, don't point fingers and judge for you do not know what's in the hearts of men and women, if that, if that resonates. Thank you, that's all, mashallah. I just want to say what came to me when Sahir spoke was that, you know, like a prism, and let's see if this sheds light, Sadma. And, and that's what I think is a beauty. You know, we, we can work together as a collective consciousness of a group and, and see if something comes through in helping us go deeper. So, you know, we have a prism and white light, which is colorless. And through mm. the prism, it differentiates into various spectrums of color, like a rainbow. And so my understanding is that the mushrik in the ordinary sense sees red as red and green as green and as separate entities in themselves. Doesn't, uh, doesn't go to their essence, doesn't see their essence almost sees them as separate essences. So hence, yeah, so they, they don't see that in everything. The mushrik in the ordinary sense of the word, the polytheist, attributes different essences to those things that he associates. So for him, red is a separate shape with its attribute and essence to the yellow. Whereas the true mushrik, from Ibn Arabi's point of view, is the one who associates the red, yellow, green, all the colors to the one light which is coming, which is the white light. And even behind that white light, which is an attribute, there's one essence, which is the fire. From which, where does the light come from? The source, the sun or the fire, whatever quality you want to use for that. And so 
any light in any spectrum, the true mushrik sees, the language Ibn Arabi is using, sees only the one. And so the, the verse, in a sense, that everything is perishing except his face. Right? Quranic verse. Everything is perishing except his face. And then wheresoever you turn, there is the face of God. Right? So mm -hmm. if wherever you turn, there is a face of God, how can the face of God be perishing? Right? Because everything oh. is perishing except his face. So Al-Ghazali says there are two, we all have two faces, one relative in time, which dies and perishes, and the other one turned towards the real. And so the the true mushrik will see the divine face and see the one in everything. Whereas the mushrik, and this is where when we read the Fasus, inshallah, the chapter on Moses, when the calf is worshipped, I think Ibn Arabi makes a comment that they, their, their sin was to uh, limit the divine to one face rather than wheresoever you turn. In other words, they've made one attribute and they've worshipped that rather than going back to, rather than witnessing all the attributes and seeing their source. That That's my understanding. You know, when I hear this, I think, I mean, what's the way kind of I understand it is, I mean, if you begin from the kind of, I don't know, classical definition of shirk, which is to associate or to, to, to prescribe uh, divine qualities to things that are not God. So there is, in a sense, you associate certain attributes and realities of God with things that are created. But I think like the way that, that he is describing shirk, it's more that the kind of the, the, the false association is, is in fact the separation because you like you you think that things have um, like different innate and, and kind of uh, how do you say immutable substances you have like this um, like the, you, your view of things is based on like the multiplicity of things so in fact it's a separation it's not even association because association is about bringing things together where whereas what he's describing when he's saying shirk i think it it's actually describing separation i don't know that's that's how i see it at least when i hear you guys um um the way you describe it that's how i um, that's how i understand it maybe another way to say it is Somebody does you a favor, does mm. a nice act towards you, or a bad act, and you attribute that act solely to that person. Fuck it. You just say, this person has done this, and that's it. Maybe the olia, or the ones who, the ula al-bab, I believe the Quran uses, the people of the kernel, you know, the essence, they see that so-and-so has done something 
But ultimately, they know it's from the beloved. They know there is no there's no act in creation without his will. And so they are seeing, they are in remembrance of the one. Not as an, I, I think, this is my little thing that I picked up. Not as an idea to be agreed upon or disagreed upon. And I, I feel, and I could be wrong, but I feel almost Ibn Arabi is taking, journeying us from ideas of I agree, I disagree, this means that, which is conceptual, you know, to saying go in your heart and see everything I'm talking about here, witness it, taste it, or if you've already tasted it, understand it through these words. And so he, he's not a modern, in a modern sense, a philosophical, conceptual person giving us new ideas on things. He's saying read the Quran because the Quran has depth of beauty and meaning. So maybe the awliya, I'll just come to Seher, I just, my, what's coming to my heart is the story of, you see, I didn't intend to say this, but things come. And when they come, you don't know where they come from. It's not me, necessarily. But maybe there's something in a group that needs to be shared. And so, uh, Junaid al-Baghdadi, uh, once his teacher said to him, that go and get a haircut, your hair's long. So he went, and at the time he was an unknown dervish, fakir. And he goes to the barber's shop, and he just says, for Allah's sake, can you cut my hair? And the barber thinks many people come for money's sake. This is the first time somebody came and said, you know, can somebody cut my hair? So he went and cut his hair. And Junaid al-Baghdadi remembered this incident. Many years later, when he became a well-known saint and he had some money, he went. He was passing that barber shop and he went in and he gave that money. He gave some money to the barber. And the barber said, what is this? He said, many, many years ago, as a student, I came here. I didn't have money and you cut my hair. And the barber said, Junaid, you've become such a great wali or acknowledged wali, but don't you know that the work that is done for the sake of Allah, the reward is not taken from the creation. It's Allah who rewards. And so when I said, you asked for Yisabilillah, so I done it for Allah. So I don't take this money for this. This is this is coming from Allah. And then Junaid said, I had learned honesty from, sincerity from the barber. I don't know what, how this story came. The shirk or something. Oh yeah, so maybe the, the, he was seeing everything from Allah, and and I, I can't remember how I've come up in this. Oh, I'll stop. Sorry. <laughs> Sahir, sorry. Did you want to share something? Yes, thank you for sharing that story. Actually, that was beautiful. Um, I don't know. I just, I guess, I, I just wanted to share something that I'd. You know, I, I was thinking at some point in my life about um, what is the witnessing that we read about and what does that really mean? Um, and what is it that we, how do we really see, right? Um, and I was thinking about things we love in our life, which are worldly, we can say, I guess, in a way, whether it's people or things or things about our own selves too. And how does that come in the way of witnessing or is that a passage to it? And um, 
and then you know i had this or maybe because i i do draw and stuff i had this image of an eye which is like my eye or some eye um and then there are these there is that divine source right at the other end but in the middle there are other things in the way and i thought maybe the best way to keep a check on myself or to see where i fall is to see if what images that i love that are in the way are transparent enough for me to see through them to see the divine or have they become solidified so that my vision stop at stops at them so i can no longer witness mm. and i don't know if this is helpful but i i think it in when i read this passage it just, it just reminded me of that it reminded me of well if they are transparent that means my reason for loving them or what they give me or what they have i actually have connected it with the divine so they are no longer have their own separate they are no longer a completely separate entity for me and um and if they have become solid that means that what i'm receiving from them or what i love from them i'm just associating it to their own worldly manifestation i guess if that would be the right word or the or the or the or the physical form that they have and um i don't know if, if that connects here but it just brought me that thought back that i this was many years ago but um yeah i don't know if that connects with how associations are part of the divine and i guess in some places when they're not so we read on sahar do you have the book do you do you want to read ah uh, yes yes i can i can read let me just please give me a second so um just looking for the place where salma paused i believe it's page 54 the most evident page 54 um the most evident yes bismillah the most evident is his refusal to admit what is called closing the door of ijtihad the attempt to interpret the sharia the law that is to consider as it being customary to do the end of the 3rd century as a stopping point as a time when the framework for all juridical reflection was definitely laid out consequently it is also condemnation of the servile attachment of the fuqaha to the interpretations of the founders of their schools of jurisprudence mata mathahib for they go so far as to prefer the opinions of their imams to the quran itself and the first to disavow them on the judgment day will be their imam himself a brief parenthetical statement must be made here on the subject of the relations of ibn arabi with today no longer extend with madhabab zahiri school founded by daud bi khalaf Arab authors and subsequently Golzahir have habitually connected the author of the Futuhat with this school. The influence of the Zahiri school on Ibn Arabi's thoughts in matter of law is of course undeniable. It is not by chance that the author of the Fusus and the Futuhat is also the author of an unfinished abridgment of the great Zahiri Ibn Hazm's Kitabul Muhalla.
and it is of significance that a few years ago the Beirut edition of a treatise by Ibn Hazm Ibtadul Qiyas was based on a manuscript copied by Dhabi on the edition of his work that Ibn Arabi had himself transcribed. But in the eyes of the attentive reader, Ibn Arabi is no more Zahiri than he is Maliki or Hanabali. He is a perfectly autonomous Mujtahid or perhaps the founder of Madahab Akbari of an Akbarian school of jurisprudence, which is, as shall be seen, the most ironic, the most consolatory of all those that Islam has known. In a number of cases, his preferred solution has not been the Zahiri solution, especially concerning the major issue of reasoning by analogy, kiyas. He has additionally made some quite unambiguous statements. In one of his poems, he says, I am not one of those who says Ibn Hazm said, or Ahmad Ibn Hanbal said, or Al-Numan Abu Hanifa. In another poem, he is even more specific. They have made me a disciple of Ibn Hazm, but I am not. One of those who says Ibn Hazm said, No, and neither am I one of those who invoke the authority of someone other than him. Two rules guide Ibn Arabi's reflections on the problems of fiqh. The first, he states thus, Everything about which the Sharias keep silence has no legal status other than the original licitness. Al-Ibaha Al-Asliya which is in accord with the Quranic precept do not ask us about those things that if they were shown to you would bring you wrong and the hadith in which the Prophet states do not ask me questions as long as I leave you alone in other words what the law is silent about is no more fortuitous, fortuitous. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, then what is pronounced? Then what it pronounces? If each word of the Sharia has a meaning, the absence of a one of a word has one too. And man, if he is not to transgress the word of God, is not to fill in God's silence. The quote-unquote holes in the law are part of its plentitude. The original licitness of things is not less the expression of divine will than their eventually illicit character under certain definite conditions. The second rule further explains the first and is equally scripturally based. He writes, Out of divergence in legal questions, God has made both a mercy for his servants and a widening of what he has prescribed for them to do to show their adoration. But the fuqa of our times have restricted and forbidden for those who follow them what the sacred law had widened for them. They say to one who belongs to this school, if he is Hanafite, for example, do not go looking into Shafi for a ruksa. 
a lightning, a dispensation in this problem that you have, and so on for each of them. That is one of the gravest calamities and one of the heaviest constraints in the matter of religion. Now God said that he has imposed nothing difficult on you in matters of religion. Quran 22.78 The law has affirmed the validity of the status of him who makes a personal effort to interpret for himself or for those who follow him. But the fuqaha of our times have forbidden this effort, maintaining that it leads to making light of religion. Such is their rule in the fulfillment of ignorance. A tutorist scruple, a demanding spiritual discipline, can most often lead the salik to reserve for himself the most rigorous of solutions. But he must not refuse others the benefit of more accommodating solutions when in good faith a qualified mujtahid finds support for it in the Quran, the sunnah of the Prophet or the consensus of the companions. The consequence of this attitude, it is that Ibn Arabi, when he examines a legal question, mentions all the responses that have been offered by the different schools of jurisprudence. And if he mentions the one that he has that has his preference, he validates them all without exception. We will offer but one example, although it concerns a fundamental problem in the domain of the source of law. It is the problem of chaos, reasoning by analogy. Is its use legally permissible? Countless controversies take place over this issue and the Zahiris, among others, reject the use of Qiyas. Now Ibn Arabi, who prefers to not rely on it for himself, refuses to forbid its use by others. But with the same logic, he opines that the partisans of Qiyas must not forbid the Zahiris from forbidding it. In summary then, we have a fundamental principle. The law is not the cloak or the symbol of hakika, of a hidden truth that might be reached by transgression. It is the hakika. It thus imposes itself absolutely and up to the last iota on the arif billah, gnostic in the etymological sense of the word, as well as on the amma, the common believers. We also have two rules of application one of which concerns the silences of the law and the other its ambiguities. These two rules are dictated neither by consideration of social unity nor by historical convenience. They have their own foundation in the law itself. The God who dictates a law and he dictates whether he's speaking or being silent is also the God who said, my mercy comprehends all things. Quran 7, 156 The fiqh, human elaboration of the sharia, must consequently include and not exclude, open and not close. For the agnostic, this comprehension, in the proper meaning of the term, is not opposed to extreme rigor of observance. It is its fruit.
Any attempt at reformation of the community, if it is not inspired by this principle, and if it is not in accord with these rules, is thus simultaneously disobedience and failure. Bismillah. Should I pause here? Yes, please. This line resonated for me. It is a problem of chaos, reasoning by analogy. Is its use legally permissible? Countless controversies take place over the, this issue. And the Zahiris, among others, reject the use of chaos. So the Zahiris reject it. Now, Ibn Arabi, who prefers to not rely on it for himself, refuses to forbid its use by others, i.e. those who are not the Zahiris. But with the same logic, he opines, opines, opines that the partisans of Qiyas must not, must not forbid the Zahiris from forbidding it. So that he, he a so Ibn Arabi a he's not although he doesn't rely on it he refuses to be, forbid its use by others but also suggests that we must not forbid the Zahiris from forbidding it. I mean, that to me is saying, let things be as they are in this matter. And so to use Basim's uh, wording about black and white. So even though he doesn't rely, he's not, he doesn't forbid others from using it but also suggests that we shouldn't forbid those who do forbid it. It's almost, he's open to paradox. He's open to both ways of seeing. You know that picture where you've got the six and the nine, and one person sees it as six and the other sees it as nine. He says, I'm right, or you're right. You know, they both say, I'm right, you're wrong. And he's sort of saying, um, let them be. Let them, don't forbid one over the other. I thought that's quite astonishing. And then in the matter of fiqh, he, he takes, as he says, he, he mentions all the responses that have been offered by the different schools of jurisprudence, Maliki, you know, Hanafi, etc. And if he mentions the one that has his preference, he validates them he validates them all without exception. So, again, that's interesting. He never says 
anyone is wrong. He, he also says they're all valid modes of perception or interpretation. That That's something that stood out. You know, I had a, um, you know, when you mentioned the name or the word paradox, subhanAllah, it's this thing that things just uh, seem to come to you involuntarily. But, um, you know, I think it seems like even Arabi's whole approach is kind of built on the idea of paradox. Because yes. even the, the previous pages about the Fujar and Tafjir and these stuff, I mean, like I'm asking myself, how did he come to the position where, you know, he's reading these verses and he... He doesn't see that type of, you know, these are the good guys and these are the bad guys, you know. Yeah. These are the, like, how did he come to this position where he makes this into a type of paradox? You know, apparently, this is what it means, but you can also take it to mean, it refer to actually the highest of the believers and the highest of the awliya. I'm so intrigued by just the process, like, how did he come to that? I know it's not entirely conceptual, but it's it's very intriguing. In fact, yeah. when you think of it, yeah, it's very um, mysterious yeah. almost. Alhamdulillah, that that is spot yeah. on. It's very mysterious, and as as you learn from him, so when you ask if Sheikh Al Akbar, how did you come to this position? He is saying, when it came to the Fatuhat Al Makiya, he was circulating the Kaaba and he saw a silent youth a mysterious silent youth who spoke to him non-verbally and gave him everything in transmitted the whole meaning of the Fatuhat al-Makiyah was given to him by this silent youth we don't know who this youth is and what this youth represents and there's various interpretations when it comes to the Fasus, in his introduction, he says, the Prophet, peace be upon him, came to me, gave me this book of the Fasus, and said, teach it to the people. And he said, I listen and I obey. And he says, I haven't written anything, not even one harakat or one letter from myself. So, it it just I mean Imam Ghazali doesn't write things like that as in you know making these I don't want to say it's a claim but this this you know he doesn't write that in that way and neither does Maulana like you know this book is just given to me and I've but Sheikh Lakbar it, it's it just gets more mysterious he's saying I I it's not like he studied as a fakir or he studied you know like Imam Al Ghazali did. And then he's come up with this. Everything is just given to him from the unseen. And, oh yes, sister, I was going to say, uh, Brother Basim, I don't know if this resonates. You know this question of either or, and then Ibn Arabi has a way of saying, well, maybe it's not either or, maybe they're both true, or both valid. And what Salma said about his way is that of paradox. 
So for a second, I thought either he is explaining the reality of what is in the physical and the non-physical realms. He's explaining that within the context of the Quran and Hadith. Or he has a deliberate approach rooted in paradox to stir up the fixed mindset of his readers or students who are, you know, he's almost like deliberately trying to rock the boat in everything and is deliberately offering these paradoxes to uh, open us up. It's it's almost like a pedagogical approach he's doing, almost a Socratic approach to um, unfolding our comprehension of what is, you know, or chat, you know, opening it from fixed to something which is not fixed. But then I remember that Ibn Arabi never says either or. So maybe it's it's actually both. Maybe reality is not fixed in the way we have conceptualized it. And so therefore, no matter what concept we, uh, or opinion or school of thought we associate with, uh, that is not reality. And so therefore, reality is that, but it's something, it's encompassing as well. So it's that, but everything else, because we get stuck on one particular way, because we are creatures in time, but we have a dimension, Allah says, he breathed our ruh into us. So we have a dimension in our heart, which is timeless. And so maybe there's a journey from the time, the relative to the absolute inside, in which we move from concept, idea, opinion, agreement, disagreement, association to uh, one which is uh, seeing the beauty of paradox in everything or the, the harmony of the paradox in divergence. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's that's what came to me. Um, you know, I when I think of when I think of this, it, it reminds me of a um, like something that Rumi said. I don't remember where he said it, but he describes the Quran and he says that all of the Quran is about. Um, he says I said that you've just gone on mute, Salma. Yeah. Sorry. Rumi, about, yeah, Rumi, he says that all of the Quran is about three things. I think he said three things. He said the first thing is qat sabab like the, the, how do you say, the, 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 the cleft of, like clefting or, or you know, the, 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 the destruction of causality. This idea of one thing leads to another, and then he says, uh, dervish, the the honor, the honor, honoring of the dervish," and then he says, "Halak Abu Lahab," and the destruction of Abu Lahab, like this archetypical, um, like complete denier of the truth. And I think it's so interesting because. When I think of Ibn Arabi, like what he's doing is he he wants the whole Quran to be about Izzat al-Darvish. Like he wants the whole Quran to be about just like a dialogue about the awliya. Like even those places where 
it is referring, I mean, in the kind of ordinary classical understanding, it's referring to people who are who, who deny uh, prophecy and revelation. But he sees this as alluding to the highest forms of, of believers. Mm. And I'm just reminded of that line of Rumi, this idea that revelation is about um, getting rid of this, you know, this idea, like this kind of, this lead to this and this is that, this is that, just the complete destruction of that. Mm. And this idea of honoring the Darwish, honoring the saints. I don't know. It really just gives me goosebumps when I think of this. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Your journey, mashallah. Alhamdulillah. It's, it's interesting. Did you know this before when we started this journey? I th I've heard of it, but, but I mean, I don't know. Like, I haven't... Um, Maybe also perhaps, you know, because he does seem to have this type of uh, rooting, like this type of spiritual rooting. And I don't know, like he, he writes in a good way, because if you read other things about Ibn Arabi, it's he's always presented as a philosopher and mm. a thinker. But but this really pits the point. Chodkovic? Yeah. No, no, I don't mean that Chodkovic does it, but I mean... Mm. Like, usually, if you just, I don't know, seek information about Ibn Arabi, he's usually presented as a philosopher. Mm. But, yeah, so. Alhamdulillah, friends. Is that a good place to stop? It's 9.20, and we're at the end of the chapter. Is that okay with everyone? Yes, it's fine by me. Yeah, I think that will lead us. Inshallah, we can start afresh. Um, so may Allah bless our week and our loved ones and continue to unfold uh, and help us learn the teachings of Sheikh Lakbar and deepen our understanding of the Quran and Hadith. And inshallah, keep us each other in our prayers, inshallah. Um,